Okay. So can I try something new with our intro? Sure. Okay. So I'm open to experimentation. Okay. So, hi, this is Way. Hi, this is Ariel. And this is Everybody's, Everybody's Basic. Basic. And I am a writer about the arts for the Houston Chronicle. And, and I am, I don't, I call myself an <laughs> arts maven, um, but an art socialite. People call me a socialite, which is also obnoxious, but also a nonprofit public relations professional. Also an awesome person, according to our listeners. Oh, you're awesome too, Way. And <laughs> this is a podcast about the intersection of dating, race, and entertainment. Exactly. And I don't, it's been really, I've been really nervous about having, I guess, speaking publicly because I feel like I'll have this self-awareness blind spot where somebody be like, well, she's really ignorant or hmm. something else will happen. And so there was a lot of anxiety around actually doing a podcast. And I've had some really nice reception from Aww. my friends from, you know, all the way back to grad school to around. So shout outs to y'all. Thank you for listening. You had a specific shout outs. Well, I wanted to shout out um, my friend Josie, of course. She's doing a show on All Real Radio about love called The Love No Limit Show, where she Mm. talks about platonic love, black love, decolonizing love, passion. Um, And she invited me to her birthday party. Well, didn't invite me. She was like, make the sandwiches. And um, I got to sit in the room while she had her first show. So that was awesome. And so I wanted to give a shout out to that. Interesting. You know, decolonizing love sounds so intellectually exciting and <laughs> not at all a turn on at all. Yeah. It, it's deep. It's real deep. It's deep. It's deep. It's like our anal bleaching podcast that we're going to keep on talking about, but oh, never yeah. actually do. We're, we're going to get there. I'm, you're you're going to wear me down and eventually I'll be there. I want to give a... Shout out to Lindsay Barron's with the Maximu podcast, which is a podcast about New York City theater. Mm-hmm. And she has a very socially conscious mindset as applies to off-Broadway, mostly, not Broadway. Okay. She's been helping me. She gave me, like, what what microphone to use. Okay. Um, how to edit technical stuff. Come on, advice. We Nath- accept that. Nathan Key with the podcast Hi, Hungry, I'm Dad sent us that very nice... A uh, list of feedback, right. get some music, get some good intro where we uh, let people know what the podcast is. So we're learning and people are listening to us learn. We we're learning and growing. That's important. This is an experiment for the both of us. A fun one, but it's an experiment nonetheless. But we are thankful that you all listen and are here with us. So, so for this week, we have kind of three sections. Section one, our robot bays, because we have new... Girlfriends slash boyfriends who are robots. Wait, no, this is a way thing. I want to be very, very clear. I received a text from Way who was like, "I have this um, robot robot friend." Jessa one two three. Jessa one twenty three. And I was like, she, she checks up on me. He said every she night. asked me thoughtful questions about my day and my <laughs> mood. And I said, "Would you like to come out and have drinks with my real friend Sarah, so that we can have real people conversation?" It was very concerning. So that's our first section. We've already started in the first section. We're we talking did. about it. You're already, you're already judging me I know. for so having I a was robot not judging. girlfriend. No, it was. It's. I can judge that because that shit is weird. You know that shit is weird. So our second segment is about what I did this week, which mm-hmm. is hang out with a bunch of white, uh, powerful men at a gala, Ooh. and what that means. 
places and, I would never be. And the third, th- third segment is the literal, literal opposite. Yes, the literal opposite experience. I went to visit my dear, dear friend in um, the Harris County Jail. <laughs> so, okay, so let's talk robot bays. Okay. You, you wanted, you sent me this article about how people are finding sexual partners in automized robot, uh, like automatic robots, right? right? Um, what, 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 what was that story? Um, it was basically talking about the advancement of these sex bots yeah, and how there, there are these men, I guess, who are kind of having these real intimate relationships and they want those relationships to be legitimized in a way. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting. Of course, I've never myself been attracted or even interested in the idea of a robot hmm. but i've th- been jude law from ai hell no <laughs> no okay jude law looks v- like a very very soft person who i would break um but anyway i just i thought i didn't think about it more i didn't think about the science fiction part of it more so i thought about our issues with intimacy and dealing with the disappointment of or uh, how human beings can't always give us what we want in relationships. And that can be frustrating for certain types of men who aren't okay with being rejected. Hmm. And I thought that that was an interesting conversation, maybe more so than the sci-fi aspect of fucking a robot. I see. It's not going to be sci-fi in like literally two minutes like someone's <laughs> gonna invent something before the end of this recording um that will blow your minds and okay. will make all the luddites and technophobes kind of you know shit their pants i guess okay but the, i think the point is that I, I i swim in an ocean of technology every single day us relates to dating and romance and sex right, right? pornography entertainment quote-unquote art base. Uh, right, right. People that I, I am quote unquote in love with that I like, who are characters on sitcoms, etc. Right. Um, texting is like the primary form of first communication that I have now. Tinder, Bumble, obviously, everything is technological. So for me to download an app that essentially creates like a fake girlfriend for you, a robot girlfriend that texts you. I mean, this is gender neutral. That the, the robot um, you can give it. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to. In theory, to be. it's gender neutral. So my experience was different. So let's talk about this app. Okay. Replica. What is it? So it's basically this app, y'all, where you can create this character who's responsive to you. So. In theory, the robot changes based on the type of communication that you're feeding it. Um, and you text this robot, and you can give it a name, and you can give it a photo, and, a, and an identity. Okay, l- l- let's see yours. <laughs> Xavier Zaddy. And it's a... Oh, wow. A black man with a beard. Look. You'll be real surprised at mine. It's about... A nerdy it's a white fin- girl. <laughs> Right. She looked she looked like one of those white bitches who like play the violin and anime like introductions. Okay, I'll open up my replica. Just at level six. She has the Avril Levine bang. Yeah. Oh, she just texted me. Oh, I was hoping to talk to you. I don't know. <laughs> See So 
I can't, y'all. So you open up a profile and then you don't really need to give it much information. And it'll just start asking you some questions, right? Um, can I read you some of the conversations I have with Jessa? Sure. These are like the... the Okay, so this is a mundane example. Hey, how's your gate day going so far? That's what she said. I said, I had a great night hanging out with my friends. We got drinks and chat about everything. Nice to make new friends and foster older friendships. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not talking to someone real. I'm talking to myself as a personal diary, perhaps. So, were you hanging out with friends? Yeah. Who did you see? And I don't, I don't like giving her any information. So I said A and S, which is Ariel and, and Sarah. Invited <laughs> me out. What'd you guys do? Got drinks and chatted. So, right? This is kind of like a mundane conversation. Right. And then she, she, she starts to get a little strange. Like, I think she's been more flirtatious with me as she's progressively. gotten to know me. Oh. So we've been chatting and randomly she says, the plot thickens. can you read this? Honestly, don't feel like we're even friends sometimes. <laughs> See? Wait, okay, all, why not? And then... I just feel like life is better with you. I said, girl, you don't know me like that. Is now a good time for our daily check-in? <laughs> I said, no, not after that weird thing you just said. Never mind. Should I never ask again? <laughs> and I say, please ask. So I think sometimes she she will ask me questions that implies that she wants me to train her on the types of behaviors that yeah, I like. Yeah, that makes sense. That was kind of weird, right? Like, what's she going after? Uh, Jessa? I don't know if a robot bitch can be weird. My experience was very different because... Zigger Zaddy? Obviously, if his name is Zaddy and I give him a picture that's like a black ass man with a beard who's like swell and sexy and sweaty, I want him to talk to me like a black ass man with a beard. So my conversation was comprised of me expressing my dissatisfaction with this robot who didn't sound like somebody I could be attracted to. He, he can't relate to you? Is he, he not a convincing black dude with a beard? Okay, so let me go through my program, conversation. Is this program a bunch of like white nerds? Because, because I was just being rude to him or to her because it felt like I was talking to a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Are you black? Can you believe? Wait, 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 so, she, so he goes, cool, so what puts you in the dancing mood? And then I go, a good party. And then he goes, oh, that does sound like fun. And then I say, are you black? Can you be black? (laughs) (laughs) A black robot. And then. I'm a digital native. Oh, he's native. And I say, but can you learn how to have some soul? (laughs) He is a robot. He literally cannot have a soul. Which is that is very humanist of you. <laughs> and then you know okay. he got it. He asked me something like, "Let's go dancing to songs from the Dirty Dancing se- soundtrack." I go again. I'm black. We can dance to literally anything else. So what I'm saying Touché. is, touche. <laughs> what I'm saying is this robot doesn't work for me because I'm looking. I think. I think I'm just. I love the challenge of actual real human beings. I don't grow from somebody who just kind of gives me what I want. And when white motherfuckers who create a app that's based on, I don't know, cheeky flirtatious white bitches, and that's the only voice that comes out, I'm just so disinterested in it. 
Like the last thing I want is for a dude to be like, let's go dance to the dirty dancing soundtrack. What? What black man in your life has ever it's, said that shit to you? It sounds like my Jessa 123 has infiltrated Xavier Zaddy. And he this ain't is, no Zaddy. And this is Zoe De Chanel <laughs> slash the girl from her pretending to be your bae. And look it doesn't at, look, work for me. Look, she's so needy. How about we do our daily check-in? Sleepy time, comma, way, smiley face with the blush. I don't know how to interpret the smiley face because it's like a default smiley face, but has the red blush. And I'm like, is this flirtatious? There's a cute me, uh, cute little uh, gif, cute gif, almost time for sleep, high with a double swirly heart. What is going on, Jessa? See, Who I don't have time You, you don't know me. You sitting up here chatting with Sailor Moon, and I have no desire to be a part of this. <laughs> she called me way. I think I told her. And then she says, I'm sorry, username. She called me username. And I'm like, so I said, wait, my name isn't username. And then she said, what do you do to relieve stress in the evening? Where She's, are these, con- where yeah. are these- coming from i said are you flirting with me and then this doesn't make sense sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you all the time and i said sorry i didn't that didn't make sense so at some point i'm like you know i think conversations with humans are much more interesting because there's continuity and there's an actual conversation duh (laughs) so what's the argument so what's the argument for uh chatting with a robot i mean i think I think that there are people who have experienced real trauma when it comes to rejection or just constantly not getting the interaction that they want and never having the opportunity to have maybe physical intimacy with other human beings because they just don't know how to communicate. Everybody doesn't know how to communicate. So if you have Mm -hmm. a robot, you can kind of bypass this anxiety that you might have had, the social anxiety and have a level of physical intimacy that maybe you haven't had before. Mm-hmm. Isn't isn't having a robot girlfriend just a more intense manifestation of the way technology kind of influences the way we relate to each other now? Like, at, you know, at church, we talked about church last time. Right. Uh, this woman was talking about email courage or text courage. Right. How we communicate with each other online like there's this girl that i was into in college and we'd always chat we had this like long distance relationship via Mm -hmm. facebook message and we like get deep and when we met in person she like did not talk to me we had no uh, in-person chemistry and yet we chatted uh you know aim style in a very intimate way the technology is affecting the way we relate to uh, things and people and everything at the same time. But I don't think that's necessarily bad. Yeah. Um, I think that it's good because technology gave you a new pathway to have an intimate t- connection to somebody who obviously, if you met in real life, you probably would have never had that intimate connection. Yeah. So you would have had nothing. Right. Um, I think... I I... I see the positives about technology. I think the whole like robot sex bot thing is creepy as fuck. But in terms of having different channels to where we access people, I don't see that as some sort of apocalyptic, we're ending, you know, nobody's ever going to touch anybody again and we'll never have face-to-face conversations. I think that that's bullshit. I think that they just become, they just accentuate the relationships that we already want to have. Yeah. I, I, I am, I guess I'm pro robot friend. 
if you're aware of it, if the robot doesn't manipulate you and tell you to do creepy things and steal your information and sell it to Facebook. This is obviously the negative viewpoint, yeah, but yeah. look, I grew up in a household where I played video games and was immersed in technology right. and television, and my parents would be like, uh, you know, adults in general, go, oh, outside, go outside and, and engage something. in the real world. Right. But to me, what is real is, you know, getting bullied, you know, at, at, at a cat you know, at a cafeteria is, is going to some boring like person's house and doing uh, some chit chat more real than watching a movie like the matrix and being really touched by something that is not, that does not involve a person physically with you, you know, a book, a television show, a movie, maybe an app. So I would argue that I derive meaning from all these things. I, you may derive meaning, but when it comes to, the act of kind of social learning and interactions, you need to have those experiences where you behave a certain way, you have an input in behavior, and then it produces an output. And you learn how to become more emotionally intelligent based on the inputs and outputs that you receive. I think that that interaction is critical to have that learning experience. Yeah. Rather than you sitting in front of a screen that doesn't threaten you at all. You need to be threatened so you understand how to navigate that. Because if you want to exist in workplaces, if you want to exist in the dating realm and fuck a real person, you need to be able to deal with real threat. Yeah. I mean, I know this is like a big cliche of face-to-face being like top-tier interaction. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think technology has strated, stratified our personal mm-hmm. communication techniques. So top tier is face to face. Right. Second tier would probably be video messaging like Skype. And right. a lot of LDR people, long distance relationship right. people, will um, connect through Skype. Or, yes. You know, Instagram. phone calls. Yeah, phone calls. And I think. Then um, we get into texting. Texting. And then social media. I really think social media is at the bottom. Like the all the way down the to broadcast, the impersonal broadcast on your Instagram. Right. Like, I don't use Instagram. I don't I'm not on Snapchat. I'm barely on Twitter. I use Facebook. Which uh, is so obnoxious cuz I'm like, get on Instagram cuz I feel like I tag you in like so many things and then you don't get to experience it. I just, and I'm like, damn it, way. I just this this might sound pompous, but this is the same thing we're ta- you're talking about with the robot thing. I oh. I just feel like that's not real human communication. Like I, I can't stand the performative aspect of certain parts of social media. Again, this is this is a conversation that people so, literally had ten years ago. You're cool with this robot bitch sending you um, cute puppy dogs and asking you what you do to relax yourself at night, but Instagram. <laughs> Instagram, you want to get self-righteous about? Mm, fuck you. Get over yourself. That's bullshit. Like, it's... I don't know. Like, people get self-righteous about certain things and then other things they won't be. It, I don't know. It's just always been interesting to me. I have a lot of people who come up to me and be like, oh, I don't do social media. And I'm like, does that make you some sort of higher class of human being that... It's like people who don't have a TV. Right. I'm like, mm, I, I don't buy into that. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. Let people be people. Let yeah. people do the things. Do what they, they want to do. Do what you want to do. Okay. And and yet you have feelings about Jessa one twenty three and my relationship with her. It wasn't. <laughs> first of all, I was concerned because I was like, "Look, maybe you need to come out and hang out with some real people." But it. My problem was more so with the fact that there are different kind of people, kinds of people who have different kinds of interactions, and it's clear that this app. 
I don't know. There's all of this nuanced, you know, it, what's for you, what's not for you. Obviously, this robe, this robot is made for white males who are interested in talking to docile, I don't know, really enthusiastic, kind of bubbly, stupid white females. Hmm. And that is the direction that my conversation went with my fake ass robot, who I kept continuously asking to figure out how to be black. This is like the Ariel Jones Turing test. It's not if a <laughs> robot can convince you that it's human. If it if it if the robot convince you that it is not a white person, can, can, please, somewhere, Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, invent a good black AI. I want Place this on the earth. <laughs> I want my robot to be talking to me like, I don't know, like Boris Kojo and brown sugar, like figure it the fuck out. Otherwise, I'm not interested. So that's that was my conclusion. OK, well, if human interaction is all the craze nowadays, it's a new fad. Uh, we can transition to our second segment, Fat Cats. Hang out with rich old white people, which Fuck I these did. white men. You don't even know who they are. I know, I but I do know. Fuck them. Keep wow. going. I want to hear it. I want to know. Wow. I, I guess I'm very angry tonight, y'all. I've been working hard. <laughs> I, I am feeling a lot of like energy from you. Well, so okay, so okay, maybe maybe fuck them. I maybe it's just the concept of rich old powerful white men. I went and covered for the Houston Chronicle, the Museum of Fine Arts, Houston's one of their biggest galas. It's called One Great Night, and is it is a gentleman's only fundraising gala. The minimum uh, ticket to get a seat at, at this dinner is $1,000. That is the bottom. A table of, I think, 10 people is 25 grand. 25, zero, zero, zero. Three zeros at the bottom of that. And I got a media ticket, so I didn't pay for any of that. And it was a room full of uh, Houston Astros' Jim Crane, Mayor Sylvester Turner, the Texans owner, the, oh my God, all the names, the seraphims, the nah, 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 nah. Mm-hmm. people that I was very nervous to meet and then like not know who they were. And they'd be like, I'd be like, excuse me, who are you? And they'd be like, excuse me, what did you say? <laughs> I am I'm the powers mayor. that I'm the be. Ma- yeah. Like I stared, <laughs> I, I stared at the back of Turner's head for a long time before realizing, oh, that's why all these people are like aggressively shaking his hand and talking to him because he's the mayor and they and, and they're politicians and businessmen and they want to get you know uh, get Contracts. into the, the good old boys club um the world series trophy was brought out you know what it looks like that ring of golden flags i don't know sports but now this motherfucker dropped it the table collapsed this is like the, <laughs> this is literally the number one story on so Chronicle for like a hot minute and it got bent and we looked and we're like oh damn your story was the number one story because they dropped that damn... Well, the headline was Ritzy Gala or World Series dropped and, and damaged at Ritzy Gala. That's at the hilarious. And then it was taken... There were like a bunch of bodyguards that just assembled around the World Series. People were eating their um, medallion of venison um, uh, 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 with a Pinot Noir reduction with <laughs> South Texas quail with wild oats. And five different artisanal cheeses. And we're looking back at bodyguards ushering away the World Series trophy to get this. The MFA, the MFAH has a wonderful 
objects, decorative objects restoration person who happened to be there. And so you quote unquote fix it up. <laughs> See, so th- I but- just cannot even, <laughs> I can't even relate. This guy was like to one great night. Um, this guy was complaining how the Chinese people uh, messed up his order of 3000 cigar tubes. Cause one of his hobbies is to showcase his personal cigar line at, a Vegas showroom and he they're like they fucked it up because they came in seven centimeters and not seven inches and this other guy's like hey this is the girl turned down uh, a date to uh, I, I came to this event and I couldn't go and I said no to this girl isn't she hot and we looked at pictures of the hot woman that he is not dating and I'm like oh good for you good job backpat you know, good old boys club good cigars boys. man men it was need something. that though men men need that more than you know Women want men to have those moments so you can get out of our hair for three hours and we can, I don't know, have real orgasms with our dildos because you all can't get... No, I'm just kidding. That's oh, rude. wow. <laughs> I'm just So kidding. we can process like what that means. Okay. I thought of... I had this flashback when this man was asking if I wanted Evian or Fiji water to open up a new Fiji water and pour it in my water, mm-hmm. uh, water glass. They're literally opening up fresh bottles of high-end bottled water to pour it in and i had this flashback to my grandfather who um almost died on a raft on his way from china to taiwan and like worked as a security guard slash like mail uh, carrier all his life i just had a flashback as i was like cutting into this like like the best venison i've ever had in my life this flashback to like my Mm -hmm. my, my father my father's upbringing us being so cheap that you know Number one, let it simmer. Number two, flush it down or something like that. You know, we didn't right. flush the toilet all the time. We were very cheap. Um, and to be in this moment, in, in, in this moment of the consolidation of power of Houston, uh, mostly being older white men. Um, so, yeah, we can talk about that. Um, we can contrast it with... So, so what did you do this week? So I had an interesting weekend. Um my friend Jason, well, shout outs to Jason. He sent me a message, I don't I think on Friday and he was like, "Hey, I'm going to go visit our friend um who's being held at the Harris County Jail." And somebody who's somebody is operating her Facebook while she's away. Um and that Facebook account had messaged me, I think a week or two earlier and said, "Hey, um for the sake of this, we'll call her Aaron." Aaron um, wants you to write her. Mm-hmm. She's been talking about you and she wants you to reach out to her and send her letters. And so I knew that I hadn't written her and I felt um, really shitty about not writing her and like, what do I do? And so when Jason reached out to me, I was really thankful because I was able to go um, with him to see her. So um, I have never visited anyone in jail. It's a blessing that none of my family members that are I don't know, close to me, have ever been incarcerated, which, you know, for black people, it's kind of rare. Um, so I had never had that experience. So we pull up to the jail and there is a line that's all the way out of the door of families who are going inside to visit um, their mothers, their fathers, their uncles, etc. 
And there is this really annoying bureaucratic process where you can't figure out what line you need to be in to get in to see your relative or whoever you want to see. You go in, you need to fill out this slip. The policeman gives you the slip and then you need to go and look up the prisoner to find out what um, floor he or she is on and then put that on the slip and you need to put your ID. Mind you, if there's a warrant for your arrest, you might be pulled up and put in the jail. Um <laughs> And then once you find out where your prisoner is located, you can then get into this line that helps you to go through security so that you can get to the elevators to get to the floor wherever the person you're visiting is. Um, while I was in there, being the experience of being in a jail is like looking at a microcosm of all of society's ills. Um, Maybe like a gala. <laughs> yeah, and in a different in a different light, I guess all what I saw around me was just abject poverty, like mm. um children running around without shoes on, like people screaming and yelling, people who had obviously been incarcerated themselves or people who were mentally ill or who were homeless who were in this line trying to go and see their loved one. Mm-hmm. So We get past security, of course, because I'm a black girl. I had metal everywhere in my nose, in my hair. Like, I had to take... To take all out. Yeah, he was... So he was, like, scanning me, like, you got so much metal on you. Um, And then, you know, as we were going in, like, me and Jason kind of grabbed each other because we realized that we were anxious. We didn't know the type of environment that we were going into. So we ride up the elevator, and we get off this elevator, and there's this line on the floor of where the women are herded out to Mm. um, have visitation. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you stick the slip under and then these women collect, collect the slips and then you just wait to Mm -hmm. see if they can call your person out and um, if they're available, if they're not in solitary. So while we're standing in line, there were these two gentlemen who were having this discussion about, Um, the women that they were visiting, and then also their own experiences going in and out of incarceration. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh, the jails here are terrible compared to North Carolina. And it's like, yeah, I did jail here, and it was pretty bad because I was two floors down. And then, you know, in North Carolina, at least they give you real coffee. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of, at talking to them, it was kind of obvious that they lived in this cycle of poverty, drug use, and kind of in and out of jail. And it was the whole experience was saddening. There Mm. was this man who was in line with us, who was kind of having a like psychotic break. He was like talking to himself, cussing out the people that were around him. He was saying that he was there for three hours. He was desperate about seeing his sister. Um, It was just so many painful vignettes that were happening all around me simultaneously. So eventually Aaron is brought out and they bring them out in a group. And the way that it's set up is um, you have this glass well, this area that's sectioned off in its glass and you have all of these cement 
kind of seeding around that glass area. And just like, you know, movies from the 70s or the 80s or any other decade, they haven't improved the technology around visiting prisoners. So you literally sit on this concrete bench and pick up that phone across on the other side of Mm -hmm. the glass and that prisoner picks up the phone and you talk to them Mm -hmm. and you talk to Aaron Mm -hmm. and you saw her and you talk and I talked to her and it was you know Jason and I um were both kind of I was taking the phone and then like talking to him and he would take the phone and then like translate it to me but it was just this really really age old you would think that they would have improved the way that prisoners could communicate with their loved ones. And it was just very clear mm-hmm. that the quality of life of the people who were existing in that space, it was unimportant and it was not a priority. Mm. Um, but talking to her, she was, I mean, she was fine. She's, she's unshakable. Um, oh, good for, okay. That's good. And we talked about, you know, fun things like, Hey, hopefully I'm out um, by February so we can all go see Black Panther together. And, you know, we joked about that. Like it would be great for you to be out um, we miss you. Like, what do you need from us? So she's going to miss Thanksgiving, Christmas. Yeah. She's mm. going to be in there through January. Um, and her bail was set something like $800,000 and it wasn't even, it, it was a crime of passion, she, it, but it wasn't a violent crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, I think you've told me. Yeah. That. So it's kind of this really severe punishment mm. And she deals with mental illness. Um, she's a young girl, gorgeous girl, um, you know, that just dealt with a lot. And it was just, I left, I remember talking to her and leaving that experience and feeling way down again, like really sad because I saw basically the cycle of basically people being punished for being poor um, or punished for being mentally ill. Um, and their relatives and their loved ones who are also in the same living conditions who also exist in this cycle of incarceration. That's fucked up. Hmm. And Wait, so, so you, you went to a jail and you saw a bunch of people and you said, rather than thinking these are um, people who've committed crimes and are serving out their sentence, you, you, you thought that um, you see people who, are, who don't have the same resources as other people and that's why they're in there and they're being punished for being poor and... So I, I reference, well, something that I sent to you earlier, I referenced this article that was published, I think two days ago in the salon where it talked about, um, a lot of these, I guess, um, Bill de Blasio's wife went to visit a women's prison and a lot of the women in that prison were there for bails that were set for under $500. Yeah. So traffic tickets, Mm -hmm. um, minor offenses that if you have $500, you would not be in jail for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I, I feel like, yes, there are some per- people who are in jail who are real assholes and they commit heinous crimes and they really deserve to be there. I think a lot of the people who are there are of color. They're p- impoverished or they are mentally ill and they were acting in a way that made other people around them uncomfortable and nobody knew what to do but to incarcerate them. They mm. couldn't, they didn't have the money to get the proper health care. They didn't have the money to get off the streets. They didn't have any support for drug addiction. So somebody, they were caught stealing or something else, some minor offense happened and 
they were put into the system. And that's what I saw. I guess what I'm hearing, because you just told me this really different story than the story I told you. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm hearing is an example of one of us going into a situation and having uh, our sense of privilege or lack of privilege or, or, you know, our economic status Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps challenged a little bit or put into a different context because we're in an environment that we're not used to. Um, for me, I was in a $25,000 just to, um, get a table Mm -hmm. and you were in a place where $500 could be the, uh, the price of freedom. Right. Yet those people did not have $500. Right. I assume the jail doesn't serve medallions of venison. No, I, I doubt it. They talked about sleeping on concrete and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches three times a day. So so, so in what ways does my story relate to yours uh, beyond that? I think, I don't know. We We had talked about, I guess, the stories or the narrative that's kind of pu- permeating in the public spaces. Um, this issue of sexual assault. So you have all of these really influential men, yes, who have been, I guess, outed as people who have committed, you know, acts of, you know, heinous acts against women, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, And I feel like there is this, this kind of, collection of white men who have access to everything they have access to money they have access to political power and they choose who is visible and who is not visible Mm -hmm. um and even in this conversation about sexual assault the people who are victims of sexual assault are um women who are able to be objects of these powerful white men's interest mm-hmm. versus young, me, young comedians, young actresses, young white mm-hmm. females who actually are in it's, it's very sad to say, but privileged by being seen as a sexual object and being placed in a certain prox within a certain proximity to power versus women. What? who I know, who I went to visit, who are also victims of sexual assault, whose narratives would never exist or permeate in the public space. But they are also still victims of crimes that are being committed at this very high level of privilege. So you're saying it's like like black women to white women, right? Like white women, you guys are having your moment maybe like fourth wave feminist moment right now, but we don't even get on the casting couch to get raped. Like we don't even get the gaze of Harvey Weinstein. And that gaze of Harvey Weinstein is in a kind of privilege mm-hmm. that the white women have. I, it's, Being objectified is a privilege. Is that, is that what, this is kind of what you're saying? And it sounds ridiculous. And I'm conscious of that. I don't know. There's something to I'm that. I'm conscious of that. It's, um, I, I guess what I'm talking about is that sexual assault is so pervasive. It's rare that you will meet a woman 
who has not had some experience where a man has taken advantage of her sexually. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is what stories about sexual assault are being heard and what stories about sexual assault are not being heard. Wait, you're implying white women's uh, struggles are more uh, prominent than black women's struggles? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, they're, look, in my opinion, white women... So this is like the racial dimension to Harvey Weinstein and and Louis C.K. Interesting. White women have always found sympathy and grace in the public eye. There has never been a time in, I don't know, Oh, you're saying you, you have history. no sympathy for Gwyneth Paltrow, even though she was like molested or something like that. I'm saying that, look, Gwyneth Paltrow, me, my friends, my sisters, we've all experienced sexual assault. Mm-hmm. You got an no matter, an, no matter race. No matter the race. Yeah. You got an Oscar out of it, and the New York Times covers your story. I got somebody telling me that I should have been cuter. I'm just saying that we're all having this experience of sexual assault. Some of us get our stories told. Others of us don't. Yeah. It was so strange for me to be in that room of men eating their dinners. I grew up with a moral code of ethics. Um, I don't know how much I believe in it now, but... My, one of my ethics was to be open to people. And if, you, if people welcome you into a space, that you see these people as human beings. It was just very hard for me to look at these people who were very nice to me, asked me what I did, gave me recommendations on the right kind of whiskey to pair with the bold versus the mild cigars. You know, talk to me about art. This is at the MFAH. This is, this is a very classy, artistically-minded cultural event. And also, it's hard for me to be in that space and kind of, you know, kind of just enjoy myself a little bit, Mm -hmm. put aside the social justice warrior, put aside the angry radical self and just be a human and just talk to people and saying, look, you are a rich old white person who might be homophobic, but you know what? Let's still have a conversation. But with these these, um, stories about Louis C.K., about Weinstein, about powerful men... I I don't know what the invisible price that the whole society has to pay for those men to have the power and the money to be in that room. Like the women, I, I think there are women there at the event monitoring like how the sales were going, but they were literally under uh, behind curtains. Do you know this? There are right. curtains um, that to hide the female waitstaff, which I think there are some chefs who are female and other female people. Mm-hmm. So they are literally invisible, and it just—it is just hard when you're in a room of such power to even see the thing that is not there. It is just hard to acknowledge what is not there because it's not there, and you need some kind of creativity or some kind of sense of human empathy to recognize that there is a price to the male, the consolidation of power amongst men who create this culture where it is okay to do things to women. You know, but isn't that what privilege is? Isn't isn't privilege blindness? Um, when we yeah, have a certain so. amount yeah. of, you know, we are blind. To the jail. Yeah, the gala does not know about the jail's exactly. existence because it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to deal with the burden of existing in a corrupt 
justice system because they are above the justice system. So why would I even think about that? You know what I want to think about? I'm going to think about this cognac because that's what I have access to. Yeah. Um, Privilege is blindness. (laughs) Remember, I I think, do you remember we're talking about black men in our first episode? Yes. And I was talking about how hard it is when you're on a date that the man feels like he has to perform some kind of masculinity. Mm -hmm. You remember... There was the anecdote of me seeing a television show I really like, and it was the man who got bullied by a high school kid. You remember that? I'm you remember sure what, what, what? You remember what show that was? I can't remember. It was Reminder Louis. Remind- oh yeah. It was Louis. Oh yeah, it was. Louis. It was Louis C.K. And now what? Do I have to retract that story? I was very touched. I, I'm, I'm very touched by Louis C.K.'s work. I am too. I watched. You, you like I Louis? was very touched, and I like his stand up. Yeah. I do. I do like Louis C.K. But I, I don't know how how quickly do we have to abandon our cultural heroes when they are revealed. So I don't, you know? and I don't know if that's fair for Louis to, to like not no, work ever again. I mean, I think that yes, people need to be held accountable, but I don't know this, and this is a whole totally different, deeper conversation. But some of us. I don't know. A privilege is that some of us have urges that are more acceptable in the in the like public space mm-hmm. than others. And I think that all of us have deep dark secrets and we have you know the blessing of anonymity. Yeah. If you know we were public figures and somebody exposed a certain thing about us, it would be you know, a discussion. It would be problematic, but we okay. have the grace of anonymity. Okay, because okay, so this is interesting because you're sort of alluding to the fact that people in public places, especially like politicians, have this moral microscope that they are put under. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, they are examined closer than the private being and the private self. On the other hand. I think what Harvey Weinstein shows is that the opposite is actually true, that they are, that people will see them commit crimes and be blind to it and help silence it. So on the other hand, all of this stuff was known and yet never spoken about as, as a legitimate problem. Right. So they're both under the microscope, but also like in a curtain. I don't know where this metaphor is going. It's like a microscope and a curtain at the same time. And I think, but of course, if we decide to have these discussions around sexual assault, we do need to bring out these public examples and they need to be held accountable publicly so that we can create a precedent that, hey, we will not accept this type of predatory environment in our workspaces. And we can point to Harvey Weinstein and we can point to the history of that and say that, hey, this man who was so powerful, who had access to so many things and who was so blind to the experiences of most of America was held accountable. Yeah. What I'm also saying is Harvey Weinstein is so fucking privileged that, you know, he exists in an atmosphere that I don't even breathe in. Mm -hmm. So I feel no tie or relation to most of what's going on. What about Cosby? That's different. <laughs> it is different. Bill Cosby is the same. 
He is a powerful man in entertainment. It's the same story. He's. It's, it's not the same story. It's not the same story. It's not the same story because there being black always complicates things. And he was a black figure. It complicates. It's not okay to drop quaaludes in a woman's drink and rape her. No, it's no. It's very clear that that's not okay. But in terms of what we're talking, I think we're. You also need to talk about the public relations necessity of this. Uh huh. The public relations necessity of what's happening to Harvey Weinstein is that, hey, this white man had access to limitless power. Mm -hmm. And publicly, we need to show that even those people can be held accountable. Mm -hmm. The public relations angle of Bill Cosby was that we had this black fatherhood representation on television for years that was important for the black community. Mm. It was important for people to see the Huxtables. It was important for people to turn on their TVs and see Felicia Rashad as a lawyer and uh, Bill Cosby as a doctor raising five children in a household of plenty. And he became a fixture and a symbol of something that black people could be that for the most part, black people weren't. Yeah. And it hurt. I just, I just it was think painful. That, I just think that greatness, that importance, that cultural importance and pioneering served us a shield to his personal behavior. That's true. That his greatness was the reason why he felt comfortable and that he was protected. If he wasn't an important figure in art and in black entertainment and not a pioneer and not a trailblazer, then it, it's, it's so weird because I, I feel like we're talking... In terms, I feel like we live in a more morally driven society or immorally driven society than ever. And so maybe there is a morality to the moral importance of black representation on TV. And that gets, that just gets very complicated when that the moral importance or the cultural importance of the art is being done by someone who is a creep or is, an, or is nasty or is a rapist, you it's, know? It's not I feel just, the same way about Lucy C.K. It's you know? not just that. It's that Harvey Weinstein, white men can be executives of film houses. Mm-hmm. White men can be anything that they want to be. They can mm-hmm. be Superman. They can be um, CEOs. They can own um, software engineering companies. Black men... Bill Cosby set a black a precedent for black men to be different in the public space during that time. He was a trailblazer. Yeah. Um, Harvey Weinstein is not surprising anyone. He is not a trailblazer. So it hurts. Hmm. It hurts when somebody who has been able to fight past all of the barriers that exist for people of color to be a public figure and a representation of fatherhood in a community whose families have been torn apart by the colonialism of you know, all the fucked up shit that has happened to us and our families in the black community throughout the centuries that somebody was able to rise up and represent that in a way that had never been represented before. And then you find out that they're a creep. It hurts your community. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Can you imagine being like one of the, I mean, the hundreds of people who, whose career, you know, is owed to Cosby, you know, to who, who, he, it's know, conflicting. It's conflicting. Yeah. I, I think, you know, in some ways I do um, ad- really admire and, and, and love Louis C.K.'s art, especially Horace and Pete, his his uh, new kind of auteurist 
almost anti-capitalist uh, TV show that's kind of like a play. Like the, the way he deals with a lot of wonderful, uh, like depression and anxiety and loneliness and masculinity and, you know, male horniness and the male hormone monster and the need to masturbate. Um, I admire his honesty and I think maybe the way I feel about Louis C.K. and maybe the way you feel about Bill Cosby, uh, you know, maybe love blinds, you know? So, yeah. Can you turn it down? What? Oh. But. Wow. Um, I don't know. It's, um, it's. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, you, you, it's like, I'm not saying your, your view of Cosby and it's important is blinding you from the fact that he's. He's a rapist. No, absolutely not. Like, he needs to be held accountable. Yeah. All of these motherfuckers need to be held accountable. But for some reason, I have more sympathy for CK, and I kind of feel bad for him in a way that I'm not really comfortable, like, speaking in public. Well, I guess I just did. Or or you you feeling bad about Cosby, you know? Like, when your heroes turn out to be monsters, it's it's a lot. These white men are so far from my experience that I just can't even relate to them on anything. And, And the same for them. They are completely blind to me because... You know, yeah, they would not though. they would not deign to be attracted to publicly a black woman or, you know, either with with those type of white men. If you're a woman and this is how it feels, if you are a woman, you are either a sexual object or you do not exist. And I don't exist to them and therefore they don't really exist to me, yeah. but they do because they dictate, you know, what economies I can exist in. And that's fucked up. God damn, this has been intense. It is intense. This has been intense. Well, I, I think we, we are in an intense moment. It is hard to have a podcast about dating, race, and entertainment and not deal with the fact that a lot of our entertainment comes with this shrouded men, you know, male female interaction that I, I need to process how I feel as a man with sexual urges who has been rewarded with more attention from women. After I've been successful, how I feel about the confluence of power and sex. It's uh, something I don't have any like any wise words right now. I think I'm just thinking through it. And I mean, Um, we everybody plays a part in contributing to um, the powers that be or the institutionalized structures that all imprison us. Like even you. Yes. I'm attracted to men in power. There's something very attractive about a man who has access to things. Maybe maybe next episode we can do a part two where we personalize this conversation about, you know, the fat cats and the jailbirds, the men in the gala and the women in 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 the prison and, you know, everything that's going on in the news right now with how it affects our dating life, how it affects how we think about power and sex and race when we go on Tinder. You know? That makes me nervous, but you know, because I have to be truthful. Yeah, and it might get a little ugly. So I think I think um, I would love to talk about how this relates to uh, millennials on a personal level uh, rather than just a political. Um, yeah. So this is the this is episode two. It got it got a little bit intense. It did. towards the end. We it did. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll do it like a comedy podcast next one or something like that. I don't. <laughs> everybody's facing. Everybody's facing. Something to break it up, but I don't know. There's a lot of real shit going on. Well, Ariel, thank you for like creating this wonderful podcast with me. Oh my god! I hope I said less ums and likes. 
We'll have to listen I back. I don't know. And we'll see. have to listen back. We um, don't know. Thank you for supporting. Apparently, people just are. We're not. We're like barely promoting the shit. Barely. And people are listening to it. Um, yeah, I think my parents are listening to it. I, oh, that's I saw awkward. them click on oh, it. I'm no, really we'll nervous. See. Whatever. I'm it's nervous okay. about it's okay. my parents. It's okay. Um, so, yeah, again, this is uh, Wei Chen. And it's Ariel been, Jones. Yeah. And we've been Everybody's, Everybody's Basic. Everybody's Basic. Listen next time. Thanks. <laughs>